It's Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audience. Sonic Echo. Welcome back to Sonic Echo, where we explore the best in old-time radio. I'm Jeff Billard, your host tonight, along with my amigos, Jack Ward. Hey, how's it going? Fantastic. And Lothar Tuppen. Hey, guys, you got any beans and coffee for me? (laughs) (laughs) Only for No, but we have cans of tomatoes. (laughs) Many cans of tomatoes. And uh, cheese and crackers and uh, chocolate bars. And that's all you get. What yes. is it about food <laughs> in the this maps? show? I want to talk. <laughs> that's one thing I want to talk about. But anyway, move on. I know. I did too. <laughs> I have a thought on that. It has to do with the sponsor. Oh. Um, <laughs> and really, uh, I, was, I was looking. But yeah. Yeah, have a can of tomato. And uh, like, what a weird thing to eat, right? A can of tomatoes. <laughs> like that. So, so fantastic. But if... If you're all lost now, as you're listening to this, tonight we're talking about I Love a Mystery and specifically Temple of Vampires. Now, guys, this show is generally considered as one of the best radio serial adventures of all time. So given that huge buildup, what do you think about Temple of Vampires and I Love a Mystery? Well, let's start with the fact that, oh, sorry. I was going to say, let's say that it's it's by Carlton E. Morris, too. We want to point that out. It was all written by him. Go Mm -hmm. ahead, Lothar. My only introduction to it was through Bill, which I know we'll talk more about. He sent out uh, links and files for Temple of Vampire arc uh, to all of us. And I didn't realize just how large a love, uh, I Love a Mystery was until we started getting ready for this show and realizing it was these characters throughout this whole thing. And I am just now completely intrigued and want to go back and listen to his... I know there's two other uh, story arcs that are complete and then a bunch of other ones, but... Uh, these characters are just fantastic. I think it really was way ahead of its time with the the tightness with the team, um, the moral ambiguity. They weren't just these upright do-gooders. They were soldiers of fortune. They were mercenaries. Uh, they just went where adventure went. And um, yeah, I just, I'm completely intrigued now and want to dive more into uh, all things I love a mystery. And I love an adventure, which I guess came before. Came after. Oh, came after. Okay. Came yeah. after. Yeah. yeah. It was in one of the revivals. What about right? you, Jack? I'm the same way, with the exception of this, that I, I had listened to um, I Love a Mystery and some of the Temple of Vampire uh, uh, show. I didn't catch the first couple of, I mean, I got the first couple, but I didn't get the rest until Bill hit me up with it. And I'm like, oh, there's more of these? That's awesome. Because I remember like pulling it out of the library years ago. And that was one of the things we talked about. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. And then, of course, trying to track down a continuity of the story can be really confusing at times because of the revival and stuff like that. So it kind of like fell off my um, even now when I'm re-listening to it, I'm trying to, you know, put like I love to see the timeline because when I'm trying to put this stuff in a timeline, I find it very difficult. So. After I talked to you, Lothar, the other night, I went back and I listened to, I think it's called, like, Pirate Loot of Skull Island. 
Um, these, <laughs> these had some wonderful titles, these Carlton Morse uh, oh, stories. Yeah. And I listened to about three or four. I don't know how many there are total, but that's not that's not a complete uh, arc. A lot of those are lost, but just fabulous, uh, fabulous stuff as they're heading on to the island to find the treasure and all of that. So, like you said, Lothar, it's it's uh, this great adventure story about these guys who they met. The backstory is right; they met fighting against the Japanese in the Manchurian War. Right? They were mercenaries. Yep. And then they went back and they started the A1 Detective Agency in San Francisco. Well, what's interesting is that the Wikipedia says that they met in San Francisco and they decided to form the A1 Detective Agency. According to the Encyclopedia of Old Time Radio, the A1 Detective Agency was actually centered in L.A. Oh, really? So maybe they met again in San Francisco, decided to form an A1 Detective Agency, and then moved to L.A. But I just want to listen to all the old shows and see if I can figure it out now. I know, because it's it's interesting, because one of the things I read, and I, I can't remember where I read it, because I read so much stuff, is they actually, it was an empty building they went in, and it was the A1 Detective Agency, and they just started, they just like squatted in the building oh, and wow. started it up again. Uh, now, I don't know <laughs> that's if that's awesome. true or not, but it's, it's uh, like I think Jack said, because this show had really three different iterations, right? It was the original I Love a Mystery and then it was I Love an Adventure, where they were actually in England after the war, working for the English government. Mm-hmm. And then it came back as I Love a Mystery again on Mutual Broadcasting, which is essentially the same shows, mm-hmm. um, maybe tweaked a little bit for the time period in ni- 19, early 1950s, mm-hmm. uh, which is what we're going to listen to is the one from 1950, Temple of Vampires. Yep. And even Temple mm-hmm. of Vampires that we're listening to is, is not complete, right? Right. No. I think 8 through 15 are, are recreations that were done in the 80s. Yeah. Yep. It's still fun to listen to. You know, we've got our three characters. We've got um, Jack Packard. Yes. Who's the, uh, he's an ex-med student. He's mm-hmm. a detective and strategist, and he's sort of the Scully character. He's the guy who doesn't necessarily believe in the supernatural. Right. Um, right. One of the things that I was reading in the encyclopedia was that, yes, even when he's fighting werewolves, he's still trying to find a logical reason as to why they exist. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, then we've got Doc Long, who's the redheaded Texan ladies' man, um, and I guess he has a habit of filling inside straight, so he's got a he's got quite the uh, the luck to mm-hmm. him. And then and then Reggie York, who's the uh, the British uh, strong guy who likes to brawl, but other than that, I don't know much about him. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, and that's that's really all that's really all there was is those three guys, and then he had a great supporting cast with Mercedes McCambridge and all kinds of different parts. Right, she mm-hmm. plays Sunny yeah. in the. Uh, in the show we're going to listen to tonight. And she's an Academy Award winner for All the King's Men. Wow. Just a great, uh, a wonderful cast. And, and we'll talk more about, I think we'll have an interesting conversation about the, uh, the way the show was set up because we've had this conversation about how to write shows. And I think Carlton Morse was one of the first ones to do this. It mm-hmm. has to do with self-contained character arcs. So we'll, we'll talk about that mm-hmm. when we come back. Anything else before we, uh, we listen to this? Just to, to let people know that this goes on for 20 serials, and we're yes. only going to be listening to the first few. Right. So, um, you know, this is really a teaser to, you know, hopefully get you hooked, and then you're going to listen to the rest of them. Because we can't showcase the whole thing here, otherwise we'd be here for hours and hours. <laughs> exactly. It'd be exactly. another Bill Hallway retrospect- retrospective. <laughs> I know. We'll have to put it in two parts. That's right. But I listened to an, an interview with Carlton Morris, which is on Internet Archive. Nice. And he talked about the fact that in the 1950s version, they split them up into 15-minute segments, and they would be on 
each weeknight at 7.15 or 7 o'clock for 15 minutes. Right. So five nights oh, nice. in a row it would be on. And so it took, the, you know, whatever, four weeks mm-hmm. to finish one of the character arcs. Cool. So I, as, as always, I can imagine sitting there waiting for it to come on, you know, at 7 o'clock and, you know, in 1950 when uh, uh, people or families are watching it. But it was it was amazing. Jack, anything before we listen to? Yeah, no, I I, I want to talk uh, when we get back about um, like like you said the uh, what what sort of drives him to make make the characters that he does. And I think I have a clue too that I didn't realize until I started researching why why Bill loved this so much, uh, or some of the other reasons why Bill might have loved this so much, sort of subconsciously. So um, this is something we can talk about. So when you're listening to this, if you're a friend of our old friend Bill Holwig, uh, keep in mind that this was one of the things he constantly sent us. He would send us, like, I, I know he sent me, and we've talked about this before. He was like, I don't know if you guys have heard this before. And it'd be like five times he'd sent it in an email because his memory exactly. wasn't always great about that. And we were like, oh, yeah, man. He's like, yeah, just just passing love, just sending the links, right? So you you yep. just, imagine, just imagine Bill's doing that for you tonight. <laughs> exactly. I like that. Great. So let's get to it. And uh, please enjoy I Love a Mystery. Temple of Vampires. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents I Love the Mystery. adventure thriller, Temple of Vampires. See now, Reggie, how long ago did we leave Matagalpa? Uh, was that the last big jungle town we passed over? Yeah, Matagalpa. Fifty-five minutes ago, Jack. Then we should ought to be getting pretty close to Boaco. Boaco, Doc. What's this? Boaco, not Boaco. You don't say. Well, anyway, uh, ain't we almost there, Jack? Yes, keep your eyes open, Reg. We ought to be sighting Boaco any moment now. I know. Nothing on the horizon as yet. Is that a stopping point? Yes, I wired ahead from Guatemala City for them to be ready to refuel us. Well, if I remember my Central America... It ain't going to be much of an airport. No, they told me in Guatemala City they had to refuel by hand. Oh, you do any checking on the motors while we're down there, Reggie? That's just what I had in mind. We're throwing a little oil somewhere. We are? Oh, I say nothing serious, but I think I'd better have a look. Yes, don't take anything for granted. After we leave Boaco, there's nothing between us and 500 miles of jungle but the town of Huigalpa. <laughs> and there's no airport there. Wow, jungles. 500 miles of them. You sound as though you're looking forward to enjoying the prospects. Of course. Anything to make me forget that awful Richard curse and all those murders. Well, a little jungle goes a long way for my money. What happens after we leave Boaco, Jack? Well, we fly between the Huapi Mountains and Lake Nicaragua. Lake Nicaragua? 
Is it much of a lake? Only 50 miles long. 50 miles? Well, that's an infant ocean. A lot of Indians all along the lake, I understand. From the lower end of the lake to San Jose, Costa Rica is another 150 miles. And that's our destination for tonight? San Jose, Costa Rica? That's right, sugar, and we'll be getting in there around 8 or 9 o'clock. Yeah, if we're lucky. Should be still light enough to land without flares. Gee, San Jose, Costa Rica. Doesn't that sound like fun? And then what do we do? Well, Sonny, then it's about the time and place that I start looking for trouble. What kind of trouble? Well, I don't know about the rest of you, but I know what kind I'm looking for. <laughs> yes, you'll no doubt find it, too. Doc, you don't mean something tall, dark, and lovely. Honey, the girls down in this part of the world have the biggest black eyes and the longest eyelashes of any girls in the whole wide world. Oh, my, my. How can you bear to wait? I can't, hardly. <laughs> And you, Jack, what sort of trouble are you going to look for? I'm reserving the right to pick and choose my brand of trouble when we get there. And man, oh man, is there plenty to pick and choose from. Anything you want, from an ordinary gambling house brawl with cutting knife to black magic and native voodoo rights. Really? Well, you never saw the like of it. Well, Sonny, the last time we was down this way, Reggie almost got himself skinned alive, trying to save a half-breed girl from an Indian sacrifice. Did you save her, Reggie? No. But, Doc, that wasn't near San Jose. That was in the back country, Far East. Oh, sure, of course it was. But it's all the same in this part of the world. Stuff not only happens, it comes right up and smacks you in the face. You boys must know a side of Central and South America I never knew. You've been here before? Yes. Of course, I always stuck pretty close to the civilized areas. Well, Doc's laying it on pretty thick. The average traveler's as safe in Central America as he is in his own doorstep. you got to go looking for trouble here, the same as in any other part of the world. Uh-huh. What about you, Reggie? Me? Yeah. What sort of trouble are you going to look for tonight? Oh, look here, I think I'll take it as it comes. I think I'm going to feel cheated, however, if I don't find somebody who wants to do a bit of brawling sailor fashion. A brawl? Why, Reggie, and you look so gentlemanly. What would make you want to fight? Money, politics, women. Look here, does one need a reason? Oh, my goodness. What sort of men have I got mixed up with? Didn't you ever daydream, Sonny? Oh, so this is daydreaming. What kind of trouble will you be wanting? Oh, I hadn't thought. Let's see. Are the men as handsome as the girls are beautiful? And you'd better forget that. Why, Jack, why? Well, we're going to have other things to do besides look after you. Yeah, honey, we're going only going to have one night in Costa Rica. We don't want to spend all our time down here saving you from a fate worse than death. Oh. Well, you heard me. Now, now, you boys look here. You pay attention to your own brand of trouble. Let me take care of mine. Quite. I'll buy that. And see that you remember it. All right. Jack. Guaco hmm? coming up. Good. Can you spot the airport? Mm, not yet. Do you mind taking a squint through the glasses? Well, here they are. Oh, thanks. Looks like quite a place. Yeah. How queer the way it seems to be laid right down in the middle of the wilderness. Now, I've got it, Reggie. Fields right straight ahead. Uh, on this side of the town? Yes, better start dropping down. Down we go. Watch it, Sonny. Uh-huh. Not more than 20 minutes, I hope. Well, just long enough to stretch my legs. And my stomach's telling me it's time to eat. Me too. I hope they have better coffee than we got in Guatemala City. I'd better circle the strip to get the feel of the port. Seems to be a bit small for a ship this size. Good idea. Yeah, I see they're expecting us. They've got a stack of five-gallon cans of gasoline out on the field. You mean they pour the gasoline in five gallons at a time? That's how they do it down here. All right, hang on. Here we go down. Hold everything. Yeah, beautiful. Take it right up alongside the cans of gas. I know. 
So far, so good. Yep. Open her up, Doc. Everybody out. And a pleasure it is. You folks go ahead. I'll supervise the refueling. Hey, that's no fun. Go ahead, Doc. You and Sonny hunt up something to eat. I'll help Reggie check the oil pumps. Okay. Come on down, Sonny. Ooh. Well, I'm stiffer than I thought I was. Jump. I'll catch you. All right. Here I come. I got you. And I never held a prettier arm full of fluff and feathers. Oh, put me down, you egg. Now, why'd you have to say that? Doc, you're shocking the natives. What, do them good, if you ask me. Oh, Doc, you fool. Tell me, you insist. <laughs> ah, there you are, on your feet. <laughs> and not a bad arm full of girl, if anyone should ask. Did you just notice? Yes, sir, I'm beginning to wonder where you've been all my life. Don't tell me I roused the sentimental Texas boy in you. Well, something went and made my heart go flip-flap, flip Flop, Doc, not flip-flap. Jack, you wasn't supposed to be listening. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Never mind. It wasn't important. What you mean, it wasn't important? Of course it was important. And I thought you two were looking for a place to get some food. Well, where are you going, fella? Well, I got to take care of the clearance papers and pay for this gasoline. I'll join you later. Well, how about it, Sonny? Oh, yeah. I'm crazy to look around. Okay, come on. We won't see any of the town, I guess. No, it's over that way. <laughs> Look yonder at the Indians in blankets are squatting on the edge of the field. <laughs> they act as though they didn't believe their eyes. I don't reckon airplanes are one of the things they see the most down here. Goodness. It's positively hot. <laughs> Lady, you're in the tropics now. I know. It's like a new world. Down here on the ground, Boaco looks more than ever like it was carved out of the wilderness. And what a wilderness. Look at the jungle all about us. Yeah, stuff sure grows down here. It looks so rank and, and deadly. Every plant trying to strangle the life out of every other plant. Murder in plant life, huh? Yeah, that's just what it looks like. Vicious, unwholesome murder. Hey, here. This looks like it'd be an eating joint. Shall we try it? Oh, duh. It's dirty. Of course it's dirty. We don't have to eat the dirt, do we? Well... We don't get something besides food in here. I'll be surprised. Well, let's have a look anyway. Door open, screens, flies everywhere. Hi, friend. Uh, would you maybe have some coffee? Hey, sure. I got coffee. Then we'll have two coffees. Uh, what else you have on the menu? The beans. Want any beans, son? Oh, for heaven's sake, no. This kind of weather? What else you have besides beans? You don't like beans. No, neighbor, we don't like beans. What else you got? Maybe you like some frijoles. Frijoles? What you mean, frijoles? That's just south of the border for beans. Sure it is. Is that all you got in this black ranch? Frijoles, beans, what more is there? <laughs> I guess we're going to take beans and like it. Hey, you got any bread? Tortillas. Yeah? Well, look, is this the only eating place around here? What's the matter you say that? What's the matter with this place? Well, fella, it is kind of dirty now, ain't it? You got to admit that. You say this place is dirty? That's right. I say this place is dirty. Sure, he's dirty. Okay. <laughs> you win, mister. Give us tortillas, frijoles, and coffee. Ah, now you talk sense. You gringos make me sick to my stomach. All gringos make me sick to my stomach. Well, I guess we're all ready to take off now, Jack. All right, pile in. Doc shifted the controls. Yeah, close her up. Let's get going. Hey, Sonny, what did them beans do to you? They give me indigestion plus heartburn plus the hiccups plus one. Well, I hardly touched them. But it was good coffee. All set, Doc. Let her go. Okay. Watch it. Hold your hat, kid. Here we go.
West to south she is. Should hit Lake Nicaragua in about half an hour. Then follow along the shoreline. Good. You folks can relax and sleep off your beans. You know, I like that stop best of all. I really got the feel of the jungle tropics. Lazy and dreamy. Just a little bit rotten and dangerous. Yeah, that's life in the tropics as she has lived. Our first real Hello, taste. everybody. What's that? I just said hello. Jack. I say a valley infant. Why, Jack, it's a little boy. Oh, where did you come from? Back in there. Back in the luggage compartment? Oh, look here. We've got a blooming stowaway. Where did you get on this plane? Back in San Diego. You've been on this plane since we left San Diego? Sure. But, little boy, where are your mother and father? I haven't got any mother. My father's back in San Diego. This is great. Well, don't you know you shouldn't have done this? Your father must be terribly worried. Oh, no, he isn't. He put me in here. Your father put you in this plane? Uh-huh. He gave me a package of sandwiches and told me to stay here until I got hungry. You, you mean your father abandoned you? I don't know. He just said to stay in there until I got hungry. Well, what are you going to do now? Well, what is there to do? I mean, if we land in San Jose, we'll take him to the American consul. Will he see that he gets back to the United States? Well, he'll have to. Hey, what's your name? Hermie. Hermie what? That's all, just Hermie. But Hermie, what's your father's name? His name's Hermie, too, and I'm hungry and thirsty. Well, of course you are, darling. All right, Reggie, break out some cheese and crackers. And some of that chocolate. Oh, Joe, wet nurse to an unwashed juvenile. Oh, shame on you, Reggie. How old are you, darling? I'm seven. I'm, please don't call me darling. Well, of course I won't. I'm a man, and women are no good. Oh? <laughs> and put that in your pipe and smoke it, Sonny Richards. Yeah, well, that puts me in my place, all right. <laughs> Boy, I sure do like airplanes. Oh, you do? Yeah. When Pop said I was going for an airplane ride, I just about busted my britches. <laughs> <laughs> well, here you are, honey. Stick your teeth into this. Thanks. I guess you fellas are a bunch of right guys. <laughs> Some adventure, huh, Jack? Yeah, great. Yes, sir. Now, if we only had a big box of sand, we could start a kindergarten. say she didn't want to? Oh, Sonny's a girl. Hey, listen, Hermie. Do you have to keep throwing that up to me? Well, you are a girl, ain't you? Well, can I help it? Girls ain't good for very much. Not like men. <laughs> I say the lighthouse of 
philosophy about women, apparently. Then I suppose you agree with it. Well, I don't know. Did I say so? I don't like that dirty laugh. <laughs> well, what's your name, Bob? I'm Reggie York. Huh. I don't like that name very well. Don't you now? Yeah. What's yours? Mine? You can call me Sonny. Okay. What's his, that fellow over there? That's Jack. He don't like me, does he? You don't think so? Jack? Why, of course he does. No, he don't. He don't talk to me. Now, you hear that, Jack? Hmm? Who's asleep? No. Hermie here says you won't talk to him. Did he? Oh, Jack, Hermie's a good little guy. I don't doubt it. Well, look at what's come over Jack. Looks like he's got a fit of molly grubbles. And all on account of Hermie. Are you piloting this ship? That's right, I am, Matt. Well, how about keeping your mind on the controls? Hey, you have got it bad, haven't you? Say, what does a fella do when he wants to rest in an airplane? Getting tired? Huh? Who said anything about getting tired? Men don't get tired. That's right, Hermie, but men do have to rest sometimes. Sure, that's what I mean. Well, you, you see that blanket on the floor back there? Yeah. Well, when I need a rest, I go back and lie down on that. Is it okay for me? It most certainly is, any time you feel like it. Thanks. I guess I will. Jack? Yes? You don't like kids? Sure. Then what's the matter? Did anyone say there was something the matter? Oh, but Jack... It's just as you said. The minute we reach San Jose, we can turn him over to the American consul. That's right. Then why cut him dead for the three or four hours he's with us? Maybe it's the kid and maybe it isn't. All I know is that something's wrong. Wrong? Just, just what are you driving at, Jack? I don't know. Just a feeling. You mean you sweat, smell trouble, fella? Yeah. You hear that, Reg? Quiet, and I don't like it a little bit. What's the matter with you folks? Well, it ain't nothing to be laughed at. When Jack smells trouble, it means something. Oh, what are you talking about? You mean boys are superstitious? Premonitions. Men who live by their wits stay alive by paying attention to their hunches. Oh, for Pete's sake. We find a seven-year-old boy stowed away on the plane, and immediately everybody acts like the end of the world has come. How does the instrument board look, Doc? Nothing out of kilter here. How far would you judge we are from the lake? Twenty-five miles, I guess, offhand. I've been keeping a middle course about halfway between the mountains and the lake. Uh-huh. How about getting over nearer the lake? If you say so. But, Jack, what's that for? It, it takes us off our course. Well, if we had to make a sudden landing, we'd have a better chance along the shore. Jack, are you being serious? I don't know any more than you do. Oh, I think this is a lot of nonsense. How much altitude, Doc? Upwards to 3,000. Well, that's plenty. Mind if I take the controls? They're yours, son. You're welcome to them. Come on, slide in. Please. Oh, I, I wish I knew what this was all about. Look, sonny. A good nose for trouble has saved our skins more times than I can count them with ten fingers. That's quiet. When Jack says there's something in the wind, keep your peepers open. Oh, Reggie? Yes, Jack? Get out the maps and look over the towns in this area. Before you can say Jack Robinson. Uh, Reggie? Yes? When you're finished with them, put them back in your pocket where they're safe. It's as good as done. You know, I ain't seen Jack worried like this, and I don't know when. Why does he want Reggie to put the maps in his pocket? Well, just for instance, supposing we is to crack up and the plane was to burn. Doc, what do you mean? Well, nothing. Only if we were to be left on foot... These maps should be mighty handy to have to know which way to head to. But, but, but you mean we're in danger of, of cracking up? Sugar, if we knew what was the matter, we wouldn't... Well, we'd be doing something about it, not sitting here talking. And it's all based on... Just on Jack's feelings? Every smidgen of it. Nearest I can make out, the closest town is about 50 miles on the other side of the lake. Well, that don't do us a precious lot of good on this side. Yes, I know it. Nothing on this side at all? Nothing on the map. I suppose there must be villages, but not important enough to show here. And supposing there are, what good's a village? Well, any port in a storm is a good motto. I'll go up and tell Jack what I've found. Well, isn't this pleasant? All part of the game, Sonny. You asked for it. Yeah. You gotta make a bet? Well, I've made a 
I do like my gambling. I'll bet you $5 we land in San Jose on schedule and no trouble. Hey, sugar, don't say that. Oh, why not? Well, haven't we got enough trouble without you throwing up a challenge like that? Honest to goodness, Doc. You and your Texas superstitions. You don't get it, Sonny. It isn't superstition. That's how a soldier of fortune stays alive, being one jump ahead. It's part of our job to see what's coming. Now, we've all been doing it so long, it's, well, it's about like, well, a sixth sense or second nature to us. You don't mind if I think you're a little bit nuts. Oh, you go right ahead. Oh, you give me the willies. It's all so silly. Well, maybe it is that. Oh, what'd Jack have to say, Reggie? Just shrugged and said we were out of luck if anything went wrong now. No towns or nothing, huh? No. Reggie. Mm-hmm. Are you as obsessed with this evil eye rubbish as Doc is? Evil eye? Well, whatever you want to call it. What's so unnatural around this world about a premonition? You don't think there's anything wrong with it? Not at all. Something in Jack is simply tuned a bit finer than in the rest of us. Or put it this way, his unconscious has picked up something that isn't apparent to the rest of us. What do you mean, picked up something? Well, if Jack doesn't know, how would I? But you must have something in mind. What could his unconscious pick up that the rest of us don't get? Well, just for instance the rhythm of the engines, the vibration of the propellers or of the wings, something so slightly off normal that even his conscious mind doesn't get it. And yet it's registered in that subconscious instinct that warns of impending danger. Or again, it might be the weather. Maybe he got a whiff of a storm. And his instinct for approaching danger has been so much more highly developed than ours that he'd get it before we did. That's it. Well, at least that makes some sense. Where do you think you'd be going? Back to see how Hermie the hitchhiker's doing. Well, most likely he'll be asleep. If he is, he should have something over him. Well, anyway, we're doing all right so far. How you mean? Jack's maneuvered us right along the lake shore. Looks to be places to land in an emergency. Uh, it looks it from up here. But uh, what'll it be like when we get down there? You think, you think maybe those clear places might be swamps? That or quicksand, if not worse. Just the same, it would beat landing in the top of a tree. Not if the swamps were wriggling with alligators, which sometimes they are. Well, that's a jolly thought. I and that's say. one thing that Doc Long's mother never intended, for him to end up in the stomach of no alligator. Oh, oh Sonny, uh, he asleep? Poor little Tyke. All tuckered out. Can you imagine a little kid like that taking what comes without a whimp? A soldier of fortune in the making, I say. The heart of a freebooter. He looks like he had plenty of pushing around in his seven years at that. Yeah, I was noticing. He could do with some feeding up. Mm, took plenty of intestinal fortitude to stay hidden back in that luggage compartment for ten hours. No kidding. A boy who can... There it comes. Reggie, you mean... Fasten yourselves to your seats. But she's caught on all right again, Jack. I don't know what she's going to do. Fasten your seatbelts. Hold the kid in your lap, Jack. Just a minute, I'll get him. Yes, Sonny, I'll show you how to fasten yourself in. It's going to be bad. I don't know. There. That'll keep you from getting tossed around. Sorry to be busting up your nap, Hermie. Where are we now? The jungle's still down below us. An Indians? Yeah, I'll bet there are. Here, I'll uh, buckle me in and then hold you on the lap. I'm too old to be held on people's laps. This is just to keep you from getting bounced on your ear. We're losing altitude fast. Well, the closer we get to the ground with the help of the engines, the less we'll bounce. You glad you came, Sonny? Yeah, doggone it. No matter what happens, I'm glad I came. That's the old fight, though. 
That's all I can do. You're fastened in. Let her rip, Jack. We're ready for anything you've got for us. Are we going down? That's right, Hermie. I'm going to see Indians. If that's all you see, fella, you're going to be the luckiest little boy in the world. He's got a landing place picked out. Looks pretty good, too. Tell him not to hit any alligators. We're going down awful fast, ain't we? That's right, Hermie. And it's not going to be long now. Hang on to me like everything, Hermie. about the prettiest piece of land in an airship as anybody's ever going to see. Anybody got any idea where we are? I say, take a look out the window. Holy jumping catfish. What is it, Doc? A doggone cathedral. Cathedral? Good Lord, a New York skyscraper rising right up out of the jungle. I said miracles. There isn't enough damage done to this plane to put in your eye. We'll want to make sure about that. I am sure. There's nothing a department store janitor couldn't fix up with bailing wire. Mm -hmm. The undercarriage seems to be the only thing damaged at all. That's all. And I'm just the man who conducted that up for an emergency takeoff. But what I don't understand is why the motors conked out on us in the first place. I think I have the answer to that. Well, then let's have it. Well, they were in perfect working order when we made the last stop at Boac. No, I made sure of that, as you very well know. All right, then there's only one thing it could be. The gasoline. Jove, so that's it. Yeah, I think that gasoline was watered. I say, you think the officials deliberately... Well, maybe the officials at the airport didn't know it was watered, and maybe they did. That doesn't enter into it. But I'll give odds that's our trouble. I say, what a rotten trick. But look here, Jack. If we're stuck out here in this jungle with watered gasoline... Well, we've got plenty of chamois. If that's the trouble, we'll have to find some way of straining it. Straining 200 gallons of gasoline through a chamois? It can be done. Well, what a man has to do, he does, but what a job. Besides, strain it into what? Haven't we got enough trouble without you thinking up more? Hey, I told Doc and Sonny not to get out of sight. Where are they? Behind you, down there at the edge of the lake. Oh. Have they got the boy with them? Mm, yeah. Hermes hoping to see an Indian. <laughs> He's liable to get his wish. This looks like pretty unhealthy country. I sent Doc to look along the shore for signs of inhabitants, but that was just hoping against hope. It's crying. No such thing as good natives in this part of the world. How far into the jungle would you say that old temple is? Mm, A quarter of a mile, I suppose. Hmm. How would you guess it is, anyway? Maybe some old Aztec ruins. Oh, look here, aren't you a little bit mixed up, Jack? The Aztecs were up in Mexico. Well, all I know is it's not inhabitants. You can tell that much from this distance. Oh, see, I've just had a thought. Maybe we're the first white men ever to set eyes on it. Mm. Climb up in the cabin and bring out three revolvers and some ammunition. Mm, Good idea. We won't try to work on the plane tonight, I don't imagine. No, we got to find out what we're up against first. Uh, What about a little food? Uh, A couple cans of tomatoes, cheese and crackers, and a bar of chocolate apiece tonight. Mm, I'll break them out while I'm inside. How's it coming, Jack? Oh, Doc. Where's Sonny and the boy? Oh, they're coming along. 
Anything desperate to matter of the plane? Nothing smashed we can't fix. Hell, now, ain't that a relief? What about you? Find anything? Not one doggone thing. Not anywhere. On both sides of this clearing, the growth comes right up to the edge of the lake. And I swear to my grandma, you never saw such a growth. All along the lake, huh? A human being couldn't possibly get through that jungle of vines and trees, Jack. And even if we could, the place is running over of snakes and bugs and I don't know what kind of vermin. Did you warn Sonny and Hermie about drinking any of this water? I did that. All right, Doc. Heads up. Oh, there you are, Reggie. Put up your dukes and catch these. Now you're talking, Reggie. Shooting pistols and ammunition. Here's yours, Jack. I loaded them all around. Thanks. Put some extra shells in your pocket. I already have. And here's tonight's dinner. Oh, tie the cans up in a piece of canvas, Reggie, and then come on down. We're not eating now? No, we're going to do a little exploring. We'll take the food along. You think there'd be some way of getting through to that temple thing over there? I doubt it. Well, of course there is. There's... Well, there's bound to be somebody living over there. Reggie and I just decided there wasn't. Huh? What you talking about? You mean that you think that that's nothing more than a deserted building standing out there? Well, look at it. All of one corner's crumbled in. Huh? Well, look at it yourself. Yeah, now you call attention to it. Does look like it's seen better days. But just the same, well, I'd mighty well like to see what's over there. So would I. There you are. You want to take it, Jack? Uh, hand it down. Before you come, shut the door of the plane and lock it. Right. Will do. Hey, what's that for? If there's any prowling natives around, we don't want them going through our stuff. Well, if there's a native in these parts, he's sure enough keeping out of sight. I'll say that for him. There she is. Jack! Oh, oh that's Sonny. I hear her, but I don't see her. Hey, Sonny, where are you? You ain't supposed to get out of sight. Come here, all of you. We found the path. Found the path? Sonny, can you hear me? Yeah. Stay right where you are. We're coming. Come on. Let's have a look. No, but we're coming. But Jack, a path would indicate human beings. Not necessarily. Well, you think not? It could be a path used by wild animals coming down to the lake for water. Here we are. Over here. Here we are. Over here. <laughs> Hermes turned into a doggone explorer. Got an idea he's on a picnic. Hey, Hermie and I saw those orchids hanging from the tree there, and we came over to look at them, and, and there was the path. I helped to find the path, didn't I, Sonny? That's right, Hermie. I'm good at finding paths. Mm. Ground's too hard to show any footprints. And doggone it. Well, it ain't headed in the direction of that old temple. Starts off that way. So, uh, well, what'd be the objection to following it? Doc, you now go ahead. Sonny, you stay in the middle with Hermie. Reggie, you bring up the rear. Right, but step lively or I'll be on your heels. Well, what's that for? Well, what do you suppose it's for? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Where do you think you are, on Main Street? Come on, Doc. Golly, Moses, you don't need to snap my head off. Take Hermie's hand and keep him on the path. Here, Hermie, give me your hand. No, I want to poke around with my stick. Take Sonny's hand and do as you're told. You don't like me, do you? Look, on both sides of this path is dense undergrowth full of poisonous insects and snakes. Do you understand that? Yes. All right. Give me your hand, Hermie. I don't see any snake. Hush, Hermie. Come on. I've been kind of keeping my eyes open for prints of one kind or another, but there just plain ain't any. Hmm. Hey, Jack, fella, you know something? Well? I, I wonder if you should ought to talk to Hermie like you did. Is that so? Of course, it ain't exactly money out of my pocket, but just the same, I don't think you ought to. But Hermie's a nice little fella, and he can't help it being here. So what? Oh, I don't know. Only don't you see that hurt and scared look that comes on his face every time you lay into it? All right, Doc, all right. Sorry. It's what I get for putting my nose in another man's business. Mm. Funny thing, though... You don't look like a man that I'd expect to find picking on kids. Notice how the branches of the trees are coming together over the path? Uh-huh. And all of them climbing vines and stuff, shutting out the sun. Yeah, and getting worse ahead. Hey, Jack, looky, will you? 
Just the same as going through a tunnel up ahead. You know, fella, if we're going to get much of that, we should ought to have a flashlight. I brought one. Doggone. Son of a gun. Horse away. Stuff grows down. Keep close together. Don't get so far behind. We're doing all right. Can I talk now, Sonny? Of course you can talk, Hermie. It's getting dark in here, ain't it? Uh-huh. It's the vines overhead shutting out the light. See? I'm not afraid of the dark. That's fine. Are you afraid of the dark, Reggie? Well, now, I'll tell you, Hermie. It's all according to the time and place. Well, I'm not. Only I wouldn't like to meet any old Indians in here. Well, I don't think we need to worry about that. I say up front there, Jack. What's the matter? You sure we're not getting in a little bit over our heads? I mean, if it gets much darker in the jungle like this... All right, we're coming at the end of it right ahead. Sunlight again? Yeah, that's right. We're coming out of the tunnel? So he says. Oh, that suits me right down to the ground. Every time one of those hanging vines brushes against my face, I wonder if it's a snake. Uh, I killed a snake once. Well, don't you go bothering any snakes down here. I'll kill them. Hermie, you hear me? You leave them strictly alone. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because they're liable to be poisonous. You understand? Okay. Now, there's the sunlight ahead. It's a lot cooler in here. Well, I'll take the heat myself. Come on, let's catch up. Is Jack married to you? Oh, goodness, no. <laughs> Whatever gave you that idea? Is anybody married to you? Uh-uh, nobody. Then how about you waiting for me? Ha-ha, <laughs> that's a deal. Now, here we are. Up in the light again. Just a minute. Doc and Jack are down on their knees up ahead. Yeah, they act like they found something. What are they looking at? Hey, Sonny. Yeah? Jack wants you and Hermie to stay where you are for a minute. Well, what is it? What's the matter? Never mind. You stay there. Reggie, come on up here. Hey, but you've got to tell me. You can't just leave Hermie and me like this. All right, if you got to know, it's a dead man. Funny thing about him, too. There's not a wound on him any place, yet there's not a drop of blood in his body. Hey, Jack. How can you tell that? You say there's a corpse. Hello. What's this? Just what it looks like. A dead Indian. Wearing not a stitch except a loincloth. Yeah. Been dead since sometime last night. Indian for certain. No doubt about that. And not a very civilized Indian either. Look at those tribal marks on his forehead and chest. But Jack, this business about him not having any blood, how you know that? Color of his skin, eyeballs, fingernails. He's all bleached out. Well, maybe the Indians down here are kind of on the anemic side. <laughs> Take some of that brush and throw it over the body so Sonny and the boy can pass by without seeing it. Yeah. Good idea. So Hermie wanted to see a real Indian. Well, he's not going to see this one. No sign of what killed him, huh? No. There. That covers him all up there. All right, Sonny, come on. Well, there's one thing. We know now that human beings live hereabouts. Even if they're wild ones. We also know they die around here. Yeah, a lot of comfort that is. Come on, Sonny. We got him covered up. Just pass right on by. All right. But what killed him? Keep walking. We don't know. Jack. Jack, look ahead. Hmm? We're at the temple. Sure. Just stepped right out of the jungle into the courtyard. Yeah. So busy not looking where we were going, we doggone near run into it. Hey, that's a big house, ain't it? Well, the courtyard, all right. We're walking on paving stones covered with heavy moss. But trees and shrubs are growing right up through the stones. And I was the one who thought maybe folks lived here. Now, there is a pile of stone that is a pile of stone. Well, there's only one entrance. Shall we have a look inside? Well, of course we'll have a look. We've come too far to stop now. 
Doggone. Stone steps as grand as you please. And what stone steps? Fifteen or twenty steps up to the door? And they reach all across the front of the building. Somebody put a lot of back-breaking work into this centuries ago. Let's go up, huh? All right, Hermie. But you stay close to us. Sure. You ever see anything like it? The way shrubs and small trees have grown right up between the stones. I suppose this jungle palace has anything to do with that dead Indian, Jack? I wouldn't know. Here. It's a little bit frightening, isn't it? I'm afraid. I'm the first one off. We going in? That's what we came up here for. Come on. Big arched doorways, but not a door in the place. The doors must have rotted away centuries ago. Hey, golly. Listen, if I didn't hear a church bell, you can call me a loony. Yeah, I heard it. Come on. Let's go inside. Well, when you look what we've found. What a tremendous place. Nicaraguan government could hide its whole army in here. Jack. Yep. Jack, did you see what I just saw? What the? Something just flew from one side of the temple to the other. Way up yonder. Probably an owl. Owl, my grandma. It was as big as a man, and it didn't have no wings. What's more, it was wearing a human skin, and that's all. So, what are your thoughts now that we've uh, heard Temple of Vampires? There's so much to talk about, but anything in general. I, I, I love this show, and I just, I, I like you said. There's one of the interesting things I find out is that, so this is this is the thing I was sort of teasing about that I think that Bill sort of subconsciously loved is that Bill loved soap operatics, and Carlton Morris, um, which by the way. The, this is the the writer. Um, he, I didn't realize there's a radio section in the Hollywood Hawk of, uh, Walk of Fame. So we should. Oh, wow. He's he's got a star in the in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So we should go sometime and go take a pilgrimage. This is literally the only time in my life I've wanted to go see a star. Now there you go. I'm the same way. So I um I, he was very very famous for writing One Man's Family, which ran from 32 to 59. I don't know how many episodes he wrote, but the almost three decades considered to be the longest-running, uninterrupted, dramatic serial of, of American radio. And when he actually, uh, every day that they would have it, he broke it down into a, like 136 books with 3,256 uh, chapters. And so every episode, it would be like, this chapter you know, of this book is the next episode. So he was somebody who planned and understood the elements that make things interesting, including in soap operatic stories, 
they're, the plots are long-ranging, and the characters, you spend a lot of time focusing on the character and the character emotional stuff. And this is what you can see in Temple of Vampires. Like, they haven't even sat down in the first episode. They're spending all their time talking on the plane, and you getting to know who they are and some of the contrasts within the character. Yeah, there's some great characterization that goes on. Uh, really dug it. I was thinking... Exactly. Sorry, I was thinking too, and, uh, and then I'll shut up after this, but I was thinking about, like, my my big thing after listening to the Story Toolkit is uh, podcast is they talk about polarizing characters and being able to create characters that have conflicts in such a way so that you throw a situation at them and their response isn't always the same. You can't just have the same square-jawed hero because the response about what will happen will be the same all the way through. So when you have four characters, for example, in Temple of Vampires, we have four characters, if you include Sunny, because she very much is a major part of this role. Absolutely. Um, one of the ones I look at is the four temperaments, and they say that, that, that the four temperaments sort of follow almost any group of characters that are four. Anything from, like, the Beatles to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> to all those characters, you can see that break breakdown. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with the four temperaments, but I did have... No. I did break it down no. between Jack, uh, Doc, Reggie, and Sonny, if you wanted to be here. Yes, I do. Sure. So the four yeah. temperaments go back to ancient times where they talk about various different kinds of, like, bile and phlegm and blood and stuff like that. Oh, right. Yeah, now right. I know what you're talking about. So yeah. Jack Packard would show up as, in, in, in the four, the melancholic black bile. Introverted, emotional, and task-oriented. And I can give you details specifically about all any of those if you're interested. Doc Long, I figured, would be the choleric, yellow bile, extroverted, unemotional, and task-oriented. Um or sorry, emotional and task-oriented. And uh, Reggie York is the phlegmatic or introverted, unemotional and people-oriented. And Sonny would be the uh, extroverted, emotional and people-oriented, which is the, the the sanguine or the blood forms. So they have, if you okay. actually, I can give you a link or I can put the link up on the thing with the details from my website. Uh, I have a, a, a sheet where I created or a, a uh, on Jack J. Ward, polarizing your cast. And I have a whole bunch of suggestions there. So it talks about their strengths and their weaknesses because I was struggling a little bit with Reggie, but then I, I when I was reading about it, where th they have him as, uh, I think I called him phlegmatic, um, uh, they suggest that like calm, humble, excellent assistant, spire librarian, discreet, flexible, will of steel, elegant in simple ways, thoughtful, patient, modest, a real sweetheart, accommodating, steady pace, sympathetic, perceptive, but his weaknesses can be indifferent, um, shy, sometimes a passive person, indecisive, too yielding. And I think about the conversation he had with Sonny about, you know, like, what are you going to go do? Well, I thought I'd go beat people up. Why? What else are you going to do? <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Kind of thing. Right. Do, do I, I need, need an excuse? <laughs> Where you take a look at Sonny, who's a sanguine, um, her, her elements are things like... Um, Charming, cheerful, loves people, energetic, talkative, passionate, compassionate, compassionate, positive, but she's undisciplined, sometimes too talkative, this is the weaknesses, emotionally unstable, hyperactive, scatterbrained, gullible, disorganized, late for work sometimes. So, and then if you take a look at Jack's character, 
His strengths are detailed. This is a melancholic black belt. Conservative, analytical, organized, perfectionist, faithful to a fault, discreet will of stone. But he also can be rigid or too straight-laced or critical, right? Or bashful or pessimistic or somewhat moody. Of the four, he's kind of considered that person, right? Where there's, they're, they're kind of talking. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then the last one was choleric. And that was, of course, um, Doc. And takes the lead, hard worker, strong-willed, practical, passionate, a good repossession worker, excellent strongman of the team, uh, but also his weaknesses, hot-tempered, rude, rebellious, can be cruel, stubborn, harsh, bossy, expects complete devotion, insensitive. So it all fits in when you think about it, the four characters. They, yeah. It just gives them a bit more flavor, and it gives them an opportunity to be able to work in, in different ways so that when you put – because good writing often puts two characters together and then – pairs two other characters together and then splits them up and moves them around and gives you a chance to be able to see how they interact with each other and how they face the problems. Well, one of the things I like that sort of, you know, piggybacks off the um, the characterization aspect that you were talking about is we've got that whole beginning where they're sort of just bantering and it's showing how different they all are. And even then some of the conflict after Hermie comes in with them giving Jack a hard time for being such a jerk. Um, and then what this is what I really liked about it was that, OK, so we've got these individuals they are all doing their individual things and just having a bantering time. Then as soon as Jack makes it clear that, no, this is he's feeling this way because of an intuition, the whole team just like goes into, you know, business mode. It's like the conflict is gone. They're now that well-oiled machine, but they didn't start off that way. It wasn't like, oh, here's the, you know, the do-gooders that always do this. It's like, here's just they, they suddenly knew like this is what we need to do. Yeah. And even the dialogue that was exposition felt very natural. And even like, you know, talking about the food they were bringing and getting the maps, it was almost like a little, uh, you know, lesson to the audience of like, well, if you're ever in this situation, these are the things you're going to want to, you know, <laughs> make sure that you remember to bring. Right. And I just like the, the thinking it through yeah. um, by the author to then try and make it seem like these characters were also going like, we don't know what's going on. So we need to come up with every single contingency plan that we possibly could be prepared for right and and when i listened to the carlton morse interview that did come up about the details about the character and how important he thought it was uh for the actor to understand the character and so some of the backstory that i found on jack was that he had gotten a girl pregnant in his hometown yep. and he had to leave wow in disgrace yep. and that's why he didn't like women yes or kids right right yep. and yep. and so so it's part of the backstory he also tells a story in another one where they're they're um, a ship is sinking and they're in docks out in the water and he's telling a story about swimming when he was a kid and things like that. So it's, it's almost like in, in the Shakespearean sense of you're not doing any kind of narration, but what you're doing is you're letting the characters evolve just naturally through their actions, like on the plane ride out in mm -hmm. the first, first thing. You get to know each one of these characters by how they react to what's going on. Right. It's, it's masterful writing. This is where... Uh, to be, and that, to be that, sure. I've just... That backstory of... Um, of uh, Jack, uh, you know, getting the girl pregnant mm -hmm. was also it was so controversial that they couldn't actually even make a reference to it in the right. show for censor mm -hmm. reasons. So it was just one of those backstory things that only came out in interviews and right. personal conversations. It wasn't ever explicitly stated in the show, but it still kind of makes sense. It's like you can almost kind of intuit that something like that must have happened. Yeah. If not the specifics, you just knew that there was something. Yeah, there. exactly. And, and the controversy, too. I mean, this was. Temple of Vampires, you know, sometimes people, I've, I've read that they lump I Love a Mystery in with things like Speed Gibson or Jack Armstrong as a kid's show, but it's not that at no. all. And as a matter of fact, Temple of Vampires got many letters from concerned parents yep. 
about the effects oh, that the show and it, might it have. It aired on at children. ten. It, it aired at ten fifteen p.m. Mm-hmm. So it was not intended for kids. If they were going to be listening, and, and uh, the encyclopedia was making some sort of pithy statement about kids did listen, but they usually listened, you know, in the dark with the covers over their heads and the radio turned down really <laughs> low. <laughs> so it was sort of an illicit, you know, guilty. Uh, you know, they were sneaking the pleasure away. Right, but you know what, Lothar, I I read that. It was only on at ten fifteen in the last couple of years. It had been on at oh, like okay. seven in the seven in the evening. Before oh, that. okay. Gotcha. Uh, that's what I read. So I, you know, again, who knows what the, what the real story is? What were we going to say? I was just going to say this is the first serial too to ever get those that letter writing campaign come in. So that should yep. be a uh, uh, a badge of glory for somebody who's actually <laughs> doing that. that. But is it just me, or is this like a real? powerful point that this strikes me as something why bill loved this so much because i think of bill's love of dark shadows for example and and mm-hmm. if there's mm-hmm. any kind of sort of audio drama that had the depth of like the dark shadows sort of background history and bill was great at doing stuff like that he had histories for his characters his characters has sure. reasons oh, for yeah. doing stuff as well so you can see that kind of influence in the way that he wrote it, and that's why I think he loved. That's one of the reasons why I think he loved it. He loved a good adventure story, no matter what. But I think the the right. unpacking of this and making this into really interesting characters with really depth stuff that's what got him excited. And certainly, Jake Sampson is absolutely uh, a, a child of of this of this storytelling. Oh, I think so. Yeah, at least at least Bill's a at least Bill's, Bill's a part. you know Bill's yeah. part into it. I know he was majorly influenced by it, but mm-hmm. you know. Both Mark and Paul have their uh, have their influences when they were first creating the story. Sure. So, right, you know what, Lothar? What I alluded to earlier, and you and I just talked about this the other day when we were talking about your show, Crimson Tatters. Um, one of the things that I read that Carlton Morse did that no one had done before is he did the story arcs, and then there was closure on the story right. arcs, mm. right? As opposed to like soap opera that just kept on going. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. There was no. It just kept on going. But he was the first guy, according to the different sources that I saw, who actually said, no, I'm going to do a self-contained story, but it's all going to connect up mm-hmm. in some way, but it's going to be self-contained. So you can listen to Temple of Vampires from the beginning to the end, and that story gets closed up. And then the next story is beginning to end, but then they can do callbacks to the old stories. So everything is unified and connected. Well, it also, I think it goes back to that old pulp feel of, of the pulp fiction in the sense of stories to where, you know, you read you read a pulp novel or a pulp short story in a, in a magazine and it doesn't like, I mean, there might be a serial in some cases, but a lot of them, they just, they have an ending and then they move on. You know, you read Doc Savage. It's not like, you know, you have to read all of the Doc Savage novels to get the one story. It's each one is it's self-contained. Mm-hmm. Same with The Spider or, you know. Conan for the you know the different branches. The shadow. So yeah. mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm wondering if it's coming from that. The shadow, exactly. Even the uh, the hard boiled detective stuff. You know, in in Black Mask. You know, uh, Philip Marlowe has a you know, it's this case and then the next case and then the following case and absolutely. But we've talked about how important that is. I think in in modern day audio drama as well. How we prefer yep. that kind of a that kind of a setup. And, and I, I wonder if there's as much. Um, detail taken to many of the modern audio drama stuff and i i do mean sort of like the fourth uh iteration the 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 fourth source of modern audio drama which is like that youtube source where it's a lot of first personal perspective it tends to to center all around that one person i've got a creepy story to tell you and you don't get you don't get the nuance that comes in or the, the 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 conversation that brings so much more characterization between any of the minor characters or the other major characters so um i wonder if people 
I wonder if it's just out of fashion right now or if it just people haven't it takes time to to write stuff like that. It takes time to sit down and and say, you know, I don't just have a plot here. I also have to have ways to be able to get my characters to go through their own sort of hero's journey kind of thing. So So one of the things that um I really liked about Morse's writing was that according to the encyclopedia, he had a collection of different research things that were called quote unquote histories of pagan symbols and heathen gods is how they described his research material. And, uh, you know, while, um, there are certain things that we now know is in, is not accurate uh, at the time. It was probably pretty good research. And, the fact that he had something to work from and it wasn't just something he was making up or going off of just pop culture, I think added a lot of depth, a lot of richness to it. And also the, the um, thing about folklore is there aren't easy answers. It's not like here's that simple two plus two equals four. And now we've solved the equation and the problem's over. There's always conflicting things. And I think that comes through with the, the strangeness of the world that they're in and uh, the fact that uh, it feels always like we're not really sure exactly what's going on. Yeah, I love on. that aspect where they don't, they don't. They never explain the mystery in the same way. Like we're never quite sure exactly who the Temple of Vampires are, if they're really vampires or if they're, you know, some if there's some sort of mythology within the people or whatever it is. They they kind of keep it a little bit mysterious that respect as to how how much a vampire they are. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where you know, like like the X Files that came later. Um, you know, even though there's certain, you know, shows where it clearly is the audience, we can see that there's supernatural stuff going on. There's other ones where it's like, it really comes down to your own personality. Are you the type of person to believe this stuff? Then you're going to think that that's the obvious answer. If you're more of a materialist, you probably will think that, mm-hmm. no, that's not exactly. the case. I, I had a, I a question for you guys. Have you listened to any of his other, the NBC mystery serials that he did? Like Captain Post, Crime Specialist, and The Case of the One-Eyed Parrot, and... Uh, I've heard of the Witch of Endor, uh, the City of Dead, and there's a couple of like Dead Men Prowl. I'm I'm gonna go see if I can check those out in archive.org. Those are one of the things he's first worked on before he got to this. And so I, as as a writer, I'm really curious to see some of uh, the adaptations that got him to the place of writing Temple of Vampire and the whole I Love a Mystery series. Yeah. No, I, I, I want to, I, like I said, uh, until we started doing research for the show, um, I really wasn't familiar with Carlton Morse, and now I want to uh, really explore a lot more of what he did, including uh, One Man's Family. Uh, it's normally not up to my, you know, my, mm-hmm. my taste in things, but um, I want to see what he does yeah. with it. Well, it's interesting that a show would go on for 27 years like One Man's Family did. And, and the other thing is that... Uh, all three of the original actors were from one man's family. And yeah, and he was asked about that in the interview on Internet Archive. And he said, yeah, I mean, wh- why not? I, I knew them. I knew how good they were. Um, we'd worked together before. And so we just put them over. And it lended me to think that, you know, when very often when we do shows, you know, we'll tap a lot of the same people. Right, because it's like, oh well, so and so can play this and and that, so it's a pretty natural thing to do, um, you know, like that. But it was it's very interesting. But for a show to go on for twenty seven years, and then he, you know, and then of course it, um, they were all on television, and and they made some I Love a Mystery films. They made three of them, I believe. Um, there was I Love a Mystery comic books, um, you know. So there was there was all of that. Um, 
overlay. But I think one thing about Carlton Morris, one of the things he said in his interview is he said, the listener's imagination is much more wonderful than any picture you can put on TV. And, and we've, we've talked about that before and that he loved, he, he worked in TV. He said his love was, was radio and he was very critical of television because he wanted to make audiences work. And we've talked about that before as well. That television was more yep. of a passive is more of a passive medium where radio is an interactive medium. You've got to sit forward and really listen to radio and, and picture all of that, you know, picture being in that big cavern temple of vampires and, and, you know, the, um, you know, when the, the, the vampires are mm -hmm. swinging, you know, going on the ropes across the way. And, you know, when, when, um, Jack and, right, and Doc right. and their ropes get tangled and they have to well, climb. I think up. that's another thing that Bill really liked about this show was um, the production values. And reading um, reading the entry in in the encyclopedia, there's a inter or a little you know clip of um, Morse talking about trying to find the right sound for um, one of the story arcs. I can't remember which one it was. It's not Temple of Vampire, where there's a waterfall and they have to go like under the waterfall to where there's like an entrance way into a mm. cavern or something, and he really wanted that waterfall to be impressive. And so they had to like figure out how are they going to do this sound? And they spent a lot of time trying to get the sound just right. And even with some of these recordings that are not the best recordings out there, um, you, you can still tell that the production was top notch for the time period. It was just absolutely vivid and rich and, and very detailed. Yeah. And he directed a lot of these too, as well as writing them. You know, he, he, he said he would go out to, uh, later in his life, he would go out to schools after radio had pretty much, you know, radio drama had pretty much gone away um, and TV had taken over. He'd go out to schools and he would play some of his old shows for students. And, you know, he would tell them, you have two wonderful ears and a wonderful imagination, so close your eyes nice. and just, you know, ex experience this. And and he introduced sure. tons and tons That's of people awesome. to, uh, to radio That's drama. That's great. Yeah, who may not, who probably have would man never after have, my own heart. Never come across <laughs> it, what what did what did what did you guys think of the opening with the uh, the mm -hmm. train whale and you know the and then Volstrist, which uh, you know ties back to a uh, in, in its own way uh, to yes. one of our earlier shows and um, just that, that whole up. opening yeah. scene and, yeah. and then the clock ticking or the, you know the chiming and all that. Uh, what did you guys think of that opening? I think it's great for setting the mood. I just thought it was, it just sort of, it's, yeah. it, and that's the thing is like when you're getting into audio drama, you, you, either you're using narration or you're using sound effects or you're using music or a combination of all three because you have to drop people right in to where the, the setting and the mood almost instantaneously so they don't have to sit and think about that as much as they have to focus on the story itself. Right. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was great. It, it's, it's short. It's quick. It's banging you right into the show, but it, it gives you that sense of, of adventure. Something's happening. Mm -hmm. um, police mm -hmm. whistles and, and all of that. Oh, well, the first time I listened to it, I had my headphones on. And, um, yeah, the, the, the train definitely got my attention right away. And, you know, and, and even just the, mm -hmm. the it you know, the, the dynamism of that whole scene really makes you ready for, um, for something coming. I'm. I was probably a little confused the first time going, why is it a train? But, um, you know, other than that, it was, it was incredibly like, you know, pay attention. Something's going to happen here. And I thought it was very effective. And, you know, after the first time or two, it was like, yeah, now I'm looking forward to it. Right. So again, you could imagine it being 1950 and in your living room and all of a sudden yeah. that train comes on. And, <laughs> and it's like, oh, here it is. 
You know, it's just so exciting. <laughs> like when I was a kid <laughs> waiting for Johnny Quest to come on. <laughs> that's right. You know, that, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, that's, that's, I think about those things, you know, because I remember, I remember, you know, it would come on at like seven o'clock at night, Johnny Quest, and, and, you know, I would be ready to go. My mother would call me and I'd be ready to go. And, and, uh, I, I have oh, to yeah. think it was similar to that. Well, a good intro when it's, when it's done right, that is, you know, it's almost like a wonderful appetizer before a larger meal and, you know, really does get you right in the, the right mindset. You know, the right music sting or the right sound effect. It's oh, just yeah. fantastic. Sure. And you think of some of the great <laughs> intros on, on old time radio or, mm-hmm. or, you know, even like Gunsmoke, which I've mm-hmm. been listening to a lot lately. The, the, the know, gun the firing at the beginning. And, <laughs> just the gun smoke. And, yep. and, yeah. Gun smoke. Yeah. Yep. You know, and, and yeah, exactly. Coming up, or or even or even TV from the '60s or mm-hmm. '70s, like Johnny mm-hmm. Quest, or uh, you know Barney oh, yeah. Miller pops yep. in my mind, or or mm-hmm. you know those kind of classic Gilligan's Island, those kind of classic you know themes, mm-hmm. which which I think have pretty much gone by the wayside now um, on TV. But um, I think I think that's yeah. an important that's an important yep. part. So like you said, Lothar too. Yep to set the mood it, it's no it's not different than than live theater where you need to make the transition mm-hmm. from the real world outside to whatever world you're in in the theater and right. try to transition yep audiences into it um you know it's uh it's it's yeah fantastic it, i, I want to uh, just skip back quickly fun. just because we were talking about uh the way he worked with characters and how bill bill and all of us had our had our favorites where we would have you know a cast of characters and he was pretty lucky and bill in that way too because and and you as well lothar where um uh many of the stuff we've done already is is recreations of one thing or another but when we do original stuff we uh, there is an aspect of oh if i write this character you know, Lothar would be amazing for this. Or if I write this character, Jeff would be amazing. Or Tanya, or one of the people that we know. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're working towards their strengths. And it was it's really, it, it's telling how, how closely um, he was to his characters and his actors when Walter Patterson committed suicide and he just dropped Reggie altogether. So and I didn't yep. know that I didn't know that and and then I just like looked up Walter Patterson and he does have an IMDb spot so he did do uh some some films uh as well so he wasn't just uh, a, a radio voice but he did uh, three three or four uh, three three different films I think in the time and then he uh, passed away in 1942 so right so when you get into Skull Island and mm-hmm. I listen to parts of uh, it's only the two guys. And then they elevate the, the secretary, the woman yep. uh, played by Joan Blondell. Her name's Jerry uh, Booker. They elevate her as to and more And she's of a married to yeah. one of the main actors, those later, too, isn't she? Uh, parts, because they didn't, they didn't... Yeah, Bowles. Yeah. Cool. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, the guy who played Doc, I yeah, believe. Yeah, Jim Bowles. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when we when the show that yep. we're hearing, which was you know redone in, in 1950, I thought it was really fun that the uh, character of Reggie was played yes. by Tony Randall. Which, you know, for those of you who remember yes. the old uh, TV show, right. uh, The Odd Couple and, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff. Tony Randall was great, but I I, I loved uh, hearing him play mm-hmm. this, you know, while very refined, this also just tough brawler. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought that must have been really funny for yeah, Randall. Yeah, because he certainly <laughs> doesn't come across as that in life, does he? <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. 
he 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 sort of made his shtick of playing more of the nebbish uh, right. uptight guy. What do you th- <laughs> what did you think of you heard about the Peter Laurie who sent a, a threatening letter for legal action? Yeah, because the story is yeah. that I, one of his characters uh, that he wrote was sounded too much like Peter Laurie, so uh, they, I guess Peter Laurie sent because he has a very distinct voice, right? Uh, so I guess Morris dropped that character from the series shortly after. So mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, that was a little too close to home. Yep. Sorry about that. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little too. I don't know if it was one of the. I I don't know if it was in the Skull Island one, but there was a character who sounded what, a little bit like. Was Peter his Lori, name so Michael? Because I think the name was character. Michael. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah Michael. Michael. Yeah, I haven't yeah, heard yeah, that one, which yeah, is interesting. Yeah. yeah, so it it was. Uh, I see. I bet you that's the guy. Probably. In, uh, so like it, probably. Now it 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 uh, aired on the Blue Network, right? We haven't talked about the Blue Network and 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 the whole aspect of the, NBC. The middle Blue. one was yeah, yeah. So the, the, Blue, yeah, Network the Blue Network was originally the American Radio Network, and then I guess it ended up being hived off and becoming the American Broadcasting Company, which we know as ABC now. Um, right. So it was. It's there was you know very there's some amalgamations and dissolutions of companies all the way through, like the Mutual Broadcast Network and stuff like that, which they talked about, right? Um, yeah. Well, the Mutual Broadcasting is the one where uh, the, the version that we heard from 1950 during that time period in New York, it was that's who did uh, the 19, or late 40s that's and right. 50s ones. That's what I remember. And uh, we talked about that in the past, the Mutual Broadcasting Network. And, and that was... So it's interesting that he actually moved from network to network uh, not and, and not just doing this show, but doing other shows as well. But so he was well well received for his time, which was great. He was one of the things I I listened to in his interview is the the interviewer asked him if he worked for NBC or he worked for the uh, sponsor, mm. and he said in the beginning I was on the NBC staff, but then I went to work for the sponsor because they paid better. <laughs> um, Interesting. And I, it makes me wonder about it. Would be a fun thing to talk about sometime about how much power the sponsors actually had. Because what he said is the sponsor actually chose the title "I Love a Mystery." Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Um, and it was the sponsor that he worked for it later on. And so it was, you know, to um, so I thought it was. I thought it was very interesting, and and that led me to the to the canned tomatoes thing. Because when you listen to some of the other ones, when Fleischmann's Yeast is the sponsor, they're pushing this thing that they call the vitamin cocktail. And it was, you take a cake of yeast and you mix it in with tomato juice and you drink it twice a day and it gives you all the vitamins you need. Like that. So I had this weird thought. I said, they're eating, can't, they're, you know, they're, they're eating tomatoes. I'm wondering if, it's, if there's a tie-in. <laughs> Probably not. But, uh, but it just in my mind, I said, I wonder if there's, you know. Cause, I mean, how weird is it to be eating canned tomatoes? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I, you know. It's like Homer I mean, Simpson's power bar made of apples or something. The real power <laughs> of apples. <laughs> you, you know, but I just, I just found that really, really funny. Well, did they have like a scene later where they're all waking up with horrible indigestion from their acid reflux <laughs> later on? I mean, <laughs> no, that was just from the beans. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. Well, there, there is a which lot I thought of... was very funny yeah. when they were ordering the beans and and the guy says beans in Spanish, you know. Yeah. And they're like, that's, oh, that's just beans in Spanish. It's like, no, that's just south of the border for beans. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what he says. Yeah, that that was great. 
Yeah. And there's, um, you know, I mean, there's very stereotypical elements going on in that. But what was fascinating, too, is that they he liked to put those on their head, too. Right. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of conversations about Sonny being just a woman and stuff like that. And she kind of convinced them, no, she's not just that. She's a bunch of other things. So it's in a time where everybody had expectations of stereotypical stuff. And that's where it was supposed to go. One could see mm-hmm. easily argue that Morse loved to be able to f- feed into that only to turn it around. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because I was going to – because it's so blatant. Mm-hmm. You know, even from the little kid, Hermie, right? right? You're just a woman. Yeah. But it's interesting that who finds the path to the temple? Yeah. Right? Well, that yep. would be Sunny. Yep. Um, You know, and, and – uh and she stands up to the villains. She's not a, a shrinking violet, no. uh, you know. And so, so yet while it's while it's it's quite putting down women in in, in much of the dialogue, mm-hmm. um, and also just you know when they're discussing the Indians and the savages and all of that, there's all that sure. too. But but you know she actually comes through as a strong character. And as a matter of fact, I, I think of all the actors, to mm-hmm. me, she was the best. Oh yeah, she's oh, yeah. My, one of my yeah. favorites, and and he did a good job of actually making her like front and center as somebody who's not part of the original three kind of thing. She had a, a strong presence in the show. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that when Jeff, when you were mentioning Hermie, um, I thought it was really interesting because he was so over the top with his little kid, um, you know, simplicity of this is what a man does and this is what right. women are about and everything. I thought it was almost like, well, I'm going to highlight this to such a large degree that everybody can see how absurd it is, especially because, you know, very quickly he goes from being, um, you know, oh, women are no good to, well, are you married? Would you wait for me? You know, and, right. then, and then more and more where, you know, um, I'm just wondering if he did that on purpose to sort of like play around with those expectations. and. Well, even I, I noticed in the first episode, in the very first episode, they're talking about all like the savagery of the South American stuff like that and the whole bit. And then they very quickly say, yeah, you know what, you, you, most people who go have a great time. If you're looking for, right. if you're looking for this stuff, you're going to find it anywhere. You know what I mean? It was right. that I did appreciate. Yeah. I like that. If the, it's, there's not just a bad part of town. It's like everywhere you have to go, you know, you have to do something unwise in order to get into trouble, whether you're in Rome or whether you're in South Central LA, you know, it's, and, and I thought that was kind of at least worldly. Yeah, it was, in, I agree. it was, in, it doesn't, sorry, doesn't Jack say that? Yeah, it was, yeah, it yeah. was. And it's, and it's informing people who, who didn't have the internet, who didn't have a wide experience of various different cultures, who would have been brought up in various different stereotypes. And it's like, oh my God, they're all savage there. They're all cannibals. You know I mean? That kind of idea mm-hmm. where they could actually say, no, you know what? There's, there's a variety of things, but most people are, you're going to have a good experience where you go kind of thing, unless you're like us looking for trouble kind of thing. So. Right, which they admit that they are. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Happily <Exactly>. so. <laughs> Happily so. Yes. In the form of Reggie, yes. I'm going to look for people to punch out. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, the, the, the motto for their detective agency was "No job too tough, no adventure too baffling." Mm. Right. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no, I, I was going to bring up something else about character mm-hmm. that I came across something that he had he had said about character. A quote from Carlton Morse was that the actor had to carry the scenery load through his character. Nice. Mm. And I thought that was interesting that the actor had to carry the scenery load through his character. So the actor had to, to paint mm-hmm. that picture, you know, so someone's imagination could pick that up. Yeah. 
Um, and I and make it look effortless. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I I urge people to listen to that Carlton Morse uh, uh, interview on yeah. on Internet Archive. It's 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 at the end of all the different uh, I Love a Mysteries. There's also one with Mercedes McCambridge, and there's one with the, um, some of the actors. They're all really interesting. Send me the link when you uh, get, send me the, f- the full file, sure. and I'll yeah. put it on the page. So what were you going to say, Jeff? I, I was just fascinated because uh, he was a member of the Bohemian Club. Did you, did you know that in San Francisco? No. And I was like, okay, so Bohemians, they talk about Bohemian lifestyle as being, you know, somewhat salacious and stuff like that but it really isn't actually the original ones they're talking about so i did some research in the bohemian club and it's kind of like um a club for writers for the most part which is really cool hmm. in fact it became the synonymous with newspaper writers so i think that's what i mean by salacious in the respect like a, a newspaper writer would go into like places that they didn't but they were cultured journalists that flourished uh, until the civil uh, war broke them up and then sent them out as war correspondents uh, but they, they, this particular club had been going on since the late 1850s. And there's two elements of Was it. Was Ambrose Bierce a part of that? I don't know, but I do know that they did have a couple of uh, famous people. I could probably check that because that sounds, I, if I remember correctly, I think he was. But um, they gave honorary memberships to Richard Nixon and William Randolph Hearst, which is really interesting. <laughs> oh, wow. But what was fascinating, and here's our, here's our Shakespearean connection there, Jeff. In fact, a Midsummer Night's Dream connection. Um, the club motto is weaving spiders come not here. And it's supposed to, (laughs) it's supposed to imply that all outside concerns and business deals are to be left outside. So when they come in, they're just supposed to talk about arts and, you know, politics and all that and business and business in the wide sense of things, but to keep out of the, the personal side of things and just have fun. Nice. Well, I like that. Yeah. Pretty cool. Still around today, which is great. You can find uh, uh, roles of like past members, and we could probably look up Ambrose Spears because some of them are public domain, but obviously the the ones today are still under private. It's a private men's social club, so they keep it to themselves. Gotcha. Well, are there any uh, you know, last thoughts uh, before I have to go stow away on a plane to uh, Costa Rica? <laughs> <laughs> Check the cargo so there's no children that you're abducting. <laughs> yes, that's right. Seven-year-old children. No, that, uh, that would be me. I'm the one who's going to be the little kid. <laughs> right. Sleeping down there. Fred Foy well, was the narrator. Was. Who was? Fred Foy, who I've heard in a lot of different stuff, including television shows and stuff like that. He's a famous sort of narrator at the time. He did a lot of stuff. He started off in the U.S. Army and the whole bit. But he was the announcer for, like, the, the Lone Ranger which was great, oh, okay. and also the Green Hornet and Challenge of the Yukon and stuff like that. So big, big, big fa- uh, fan of Fred Foy myself. Um, but last last comments for me, I can say. Um, this is by far one of the best uh, series, specifically Temple of Vampires, but most of his stuff. To be able, if you can sit down as a writer to break apart what makes interesting character that you can drive a story, build a real interesting mythology and a universe around this is a this is a show you really need to spend your time looking into and analyzing and seeing if you can come up with you know another winning uh formula like like morse did who did adventures by morse too if i remember correctly yes that was another one Mm -hmm. yeah yeah love for our last thoughts the last thoughts that i have is um uh if those of you out there are, you know, intrigued. Uh, there is a lot more out there. Um, most of them are 
not complete arcs, which is interesting because one of the histories about I love an adventure or I love adventure or I love a mystery, excuse me, is that collectors, this was enough. This was a big deal for collectors to try and track down. Everybody wanted it. They're trying to hold out. There's even rumors that supposedly there's some miser in LA who has like the entire shows and isn't giving them out to anybody, which sounds like an urban legend, but <laughs> even for that to be brought up, it's like, that's how much collectors want these shows. Mm. There are two, uh, series that have survived in their entirety. The thing that cries in the night is one. And then mm-hmm. bury your dead Arizona is another. And I have not heard them yet, but I am going to start listening to them. Uh, toot sweet. So cool. I'd yeah, love links for same. those too. If you want to send those along. Sure. Sure. We'll put yeah, them on the page all... so everybody can hear them. <laughs> and that's, that's what I wanted to say is that uh, we just gave you a little taste. Like I said, it's, you know, Temple of Vampires is five hours long, so go back and listen to the rest of it, and then explore more of Carlton Morse's work. Now, I've never listened to, uh, you know, One Man's Family, but I'm going to see if I can find some of them just to see what it was, what it was all about. And again, that's all we're trying to do here is, is you know, spread the word about old time radio and and uh, spur people on to listen to more and and uh, enjoy for, for what it, the wonderful medium that it is. Yep. Thanks for bringing it to us, there, brother. Oh. You're welcome. It's all because of Bill Holweg <laughs> sending <laughs> yeah. all those sending all those links out and then sending emails. You listen to this yet? You know, and, and uh, like five times. Not yet, Bill. You know, but I will. It's five hours long. Um, you know, but uh, he probably listened to him every time wonderful. he he cut the lawn or something. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. When it was 110 degrees out on the Texas prairie. <laughs> and 15 acres to go through. Or <laughs> so, uh, do we know what we're coming up uh, with next? I think I'm next. going to be a surprise. Am I not? You are next, Jack. So, I was thinking just a couple of days ago that because, because we're looking at this has an interesting sort of like 15-minute increments, there was a really interesting show that started off sort of weekly and bi-weekly and then every single day uh, not, was one of the most popular old-time radio shows. Another kind of detective style series called Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. I thought we'd give that Ooh, a shot next uh, next month. Fantastic. Sounds good. Thanks again, everyone. This was awesome. Yeah. Great. Thank you all for once again for this great conversation about Carlton E. Morse and I Love a Mystery and specifically Temple of Vampires. Look forward to uh, Johnny Dollar next month. For everyone, we'll say uh, goodbye for tonight and we'll see you next month on Sonic Echo. Good night, folks. Bye, guys. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Now here is our star, Vincent Price. Ladies and gentlemen, in a prejudice-filled America, no one would be secure in his job, his business, his church, or his home. Yet racial and religious antagonisms are exploited daily by quacks and adventurers 
whose followers make up the irresponsible lunatic fringe of American life, refuse to listen to or spread rumors against any race or religion, help to stamp out prejudice in our country. Let's judge our neighbors by the character of their lives alone and not on the basis of their religion or origin. Now, you seem to me to be a connoisseur of the best of radio drama. In which case, make sure you're subscribed to the Monday Matinee Feed. There we have our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic and live radio drama. So, yeah, either the main mutual audio network feed for all types and genres of audio drama or the Monday Matinee. And we'll see you there. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.